You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Four consecutive losses rolling into this Monday morning, talking about the Miami Dolphins on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your host Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football, if you are still interested in such a thing, as the Dolphins lost, dropped their fourth consecutive game and do so to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the backup quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that had not won a road game this season until this game, a team that was reeling by all intents and purposes and really looking forward to next season, just like the Dolphins now are, as they go into Thanksgiving at 4-6, and six, trailing the Patriots by four games now and trailing the wild card position by one game, but with all the teams ahead of them that are tied with them in the same record that they lost to head-to-head and all the schedule concerns moving forward and everything that plays into this the Dolphins season I am officially crowning this day funeral day for the Dolphins 2017 season every team has it except for one every single year we all face that point of the season where the season is over and this point of the season right now is when the Dolphins 2017 season is over and I guess you kind of have to give them a little bit of credit for hanging in this long considering all the factors that gone into this and and all the outside things that affected this team from the hurricane to the Lawrence Timmons thing to the Chris Forster thing to the Ray Maluga thing is he got arrested on Saturday night, got himself kicked off the or got himself re- released off the team. So all these things over and over again, the injuries, Ryan Tannehill, Tony Lippett, Ted Larson, Rayquan McMillan. I mean, where does it really end with this team? It just all kind of comes to a head in this game right here. The Dolphins don't even look like a formidable outfit at this point of the season. And the big difference this season to me from seasons past, and let's kind of get into the, a little bit here talking about this game and where this leaves the Dolphins moving forward to 2018. And a lot of the comments that I saw on Twitter today, and we'll get to you guys' Twitter mailbag here in a second on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Some of the things I saw today were basically talking about how there is a need for a massive overhaul and how they better just strip it down right now. And, and I saw a lot of comments talking about getting rid of even the best players like Rashad Jones because he's not moving the needle, the needle enough. And I understand where that comes from. And Cam Wake and Dominic and Sue, all these other guys that have had big years and have, have made themselves into big names with this Miami Dolphins team how it's time to move on from these guys and just kind of start from scratch. Well, I don't. I still don't believe that getting rid of your best players makes you better. Um, I know that they haven't lived up to the hype or the expectations necessarily this season, at least in the recent games, and Cam Wake has been invisible for four games now. But that's not the, how you get better, and there's a lot of teams that have turned the thing, have turned things around overnight, basically. You look at the Los Angeles Rams at 7-3 and three right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars at 7-3, and three, and that was a longer process than you know, it was for the Rams in terms of that putting that defense together for the Jaguars. But other teams in the league, they've done the same thing. The Saints are 8-2. and two, The Vikings are 8-2. and two. These teams that haven't been very good in recent years are coming to the to the forefront, and they're playing really good football. And the, and the Philadelphia Eagles just finished up beating the crap out of the Dallas Cowboys. They moved to 9-1. and one. And two years ago, they, were, they didn't know what they were going to do at the quarterback position with Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez and Chase Daniel. And then finally, they, they find Carson Wentz. And last year was a bit of a struggle for them, but everything just kind of turns around this year. Now they're the biggest powerhouse in the NFL, if you ask me. And I don't want to get on this beating the strong about how the quarterback position is all important, how I'm going to get into Ryan Tannehill again like I did last week. That was kind of my venture last week was the Ryan Tannehill thing. I I still obviously do believe in him being a a very good quarterback and one that the Dolphins can win with. But if you go back to some of those Philbin teams over the years with with Tannehill, love him or hate him, you know, as it is, those teams play with the big dogs in the league. And sometimes they beat those big dogs. And I wrote some of them down here going back over the last few years. You look at 2012, they beat the Seattle Seahawks, who were 11-5 and that year. In 2013, they beat the Indianapolis Colts, who were 11-5, and and that was in Indianapolis. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who were also 11-5, and, and they beat the New England Patriots, who were 12-4 and that year. 
Also beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were 8-8, eight eight, but that was a snow game on the road, something the Dolphins don't do very well is play well in the snow. And then, of course, 2014, they beat the Patriots again. That one's at home to a 12-4 Patriots team eventually that season. And then, of course, I put the Broncos game from 2014. They hung with one of the league's elite teams that time at that time of the year, and Peyton Manning was delivering the goods every single game that week or that season. Dolphins hung in that game. The Detroit Lions that year, same story. So... You know they, they have these games against these big time teams. They're hanging in them, hanging in there with them. And right now, if the Dolphins go face a big time team like that, like the Patriots next week, they're going to get slacked by forty points. They face a bad team like the Buccaneers, they lose to that team at home. So back then, they inspired hope that you could actually hang with these big time teams. But now you play these big time teams in two thousand seventeen, and you're just getting ran out of there, getting completely embarrassed. And you go back to those rosters in 2013, 2014, 2015, whatever it is, it's not like the players were any greater than it is now outside of the quarterback position. They had guys or offensive line combinations that featured guys like Dallas Thomas, Jason Fox, Tyson Claybo, Nate Gardner, the rookie left tackle version of Juwan James, which was the worst version of Juwan James, if you can recall that. Daniel Thomas got work in these games. Brian Hartline was an integral piece of that offense. The defense had guys like Bryce McCain, Jamar Taylor, Jimmy Wilson, Philip Wheeler, Danelle Ellerby. All these guys that are just not that good of players but the Dolphins had a quarterback going for them. Ryan Tannehill, love him or hate him, he was the best quarterback this team has had in some time, going back to the damn Reno to the damn Reno days. And that's why I think 2018 is all about identifying that quarterback, putting him in there, and building the pieces around him to make that train go because all it takes is having a, a big adjustment or a big improvement in the quarterback play and you can find yourself right in the thick of things just like the Rams are just like the I guess I guess you can put the Vikings in there right now the way Case Keenum is playing even though the defense is kind of carrying that team but the way Carson Wentz has for the Eagles and you can just see that with these teams that just made one big change at the quarterback they of course they they supplemented their pieces around them but it all starts with the quarterback and the head coach and that's what they did. They made a big change there, and it worked out for them. So I don't think that you have to necessarily get out the TNT and blow this thing up because I think there are pieces in place. Of course, there are holes, but the pieces you have, I mean, you still have Stills and Landry who can both play on the outside. You have a pretty damn good draft this year, finding Cordrea Tankersley, who played another good game today. Devon Godshaw, who had another good tackle for loss in this game. Charles Harris, who got more pressure in this game, and then hopefully Rayquan McMillan going forward. So you have four defensive players that you think you hit on there in this draft. You're probably going to be picking in a position that's high enough to get one of the highly regarded quarterback prospects, whether you like him or not. He's going to be a guy that is either talked about a lot or some certain scouts do love him a lot. Hell, you might be in a position to get whoever the, whoever you want, provided you're willing to pay the price. Now, if you pick fifth and the Niners get the top, the top pick in the draft, they already have Jimmy Garoppolo. They're going to sell that draft pick for a King's ransom. And you might not think that's a good idea for the Dolphins to do it, but if you have a quarterback that you think is Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott, you you make that trade. You have to do that. And if, if that's what they wanted to do, you know, they could be in a position to do it. So you're in a good spot above all these other teams because you also have that ace in the hole with Ryan Tannehill where you can kind of say, eh, we don't have to do it. Maybe we do want to do it. I'm not really sure. But if there's someone you know is going to be that quarterback, you pull that trigger. And then next year we deal with that point going forward and decide, okay, Ryan Tannehill starts this year. Baker Mayfield starts in 2019 or whatever it might be, whatever the, whatever the combination of options you have, you have a plethora of them. And... To put me up to it right now to say what I would do, I don't think I have an answer for that just because there's a lot of time left and we have to go through the whole draft process. we got to see how the rest of these games play out. But, I, man, the Dolphins are going to be in a really, really interesting spot come draft day when it comes to, or I guess come the offseason when it comes to making a decision on the quarterback position and the rest of the team and where the draft, it's just going to be really interesting. And we're going to have all that covered for you here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Winkle. You can follow me on Twitter at Winkle NFL. You can follow the show at Lockdown Fan. Check out LockdownDolphins.com for all your written Dolphins commentary needs. I'll, I'll be posting col- columns there this week as well as some of the other guys writing some pieces as well. Again, that's LockdownDolphins.com. You listen to the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Winkle. 
All right, before we get to the next point here, I just wrote a couple of notes down from the game today, but before we get into that, I want to finish up that last point here talking about the quarterbacks and just looking around the league at the teams, the other teams that have lost quarterbacks. And you're going to tell me, yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers, it's Deshaun Watson, it's Andrew Luck, the three teams I'm going to point to. The Colts, Packers, and Texans all lost their quarterbacks, and they are a train wreck since those guys went out. Andrew Luck and the Colts, obviously a disaster, 3-7 and seven so far on the season. The Green Bay Packers have only won one game since Aaron Rodgers went out. I believe they're 1-4 since he went down. And Deshaun Watson, since he left the Texans, they haven't won a game either. So a complete tire fire for every team that has lost their quarterback this season. And the Dolphins are one of them. Jay Cutler playing as poorly as anybody in the league. You guys saw the interceptions today. I think two of the three were his fault. Just making terrible decisions, not, not doing a whole lot of anything. So... Quarterback can make a big change is the whole point. So let's go ahead and move on. Talk about a player that I wrote down today that I think might have himself a long-term spot on this team, whether it's as a backup, as a starter, or as a starter. I'm not really sure yet, but I think it's a big, important position of need that you can maybe scratch off the list at this point, or maybe after he finishes out the string and continues to play this way. But Jesse Davis played right tackle and a little bit of right guard today as well once Jermon Bushrod goes down with the injury, another guy that has had a rough year and gets knocked out by injury. But he goes down, and Jesse Davis slides into right guard. I thought he was better at right tackle, but he shows you a little bit of position versatility in this game. He's played left guard, right guard, now right tackle on the season, and he's doing some good things there in pass protection. I think this offensive line, pass protecting, pass protection-wise, has played pretty well. The running game hasn't done much of anything, but you guys know how that goes. With the two tackles they have in place, Jawan James's fifth-year option got picked up in the offseason, so he'll be back. Larry Tunzel's obviously going to be the left tackle long-term. And if you can fit Jesse Davis into a spot there, all of a sudden you only have two holes in the offensive line. You can really you know, work around that in the offseason and kind of vary your options in terms of putting resources elsewhere because if you have three holes then you really have to dedicate a lot of resources to it but with just two holes you can it gives you a lot more flexibility so obviously replacing 40 percent of your offensive line is a lot easier than replacing 60 percent of your offensive line so I think that Jesse Davis and possibly you know whether it's Ted Larson coming back or Isaac Asiata some guys compete for him with that left guard job maybe I, I don't know I guess left guard and then you know, you find a center and a right guard, and all of a sudden your offensive line can be fixed overnight. You get the quarterback back. You have your two running backs. You draft another running back late on. I mean, the offense can be fixed really quickly. That's the whole point. And I think that Jesse Davis could be a really big linchpin to that turnaround process on the offensive line as well. So let's go ahead and talk about this last point before we get into the Twitter mailbag and take your guys' questions from Twitter. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL or the show at Locked on Fins. And the last point here was the officiating on the day. And I think you guys, I don't have to tell you how bad it was if you watched the game. They took six points off the board. I guess call it a four-point turnaround since the Dolphins made a field goal after this, but on the Anthony Fasano phantom PI call in the end zone where he rubbed off of a guy and the shoulder pads kind of glanced as he went by and they got called for a pass interference on that on the offense. Uh, looks like the fix might have been in there. I'm not sure if this game had a lot of Vegas action, but that's the only way I can describe that play or just sheer incompetence from the officials because later in the game they had a phantom Holding call on Jermon Bushrod on a long Jarvis Landry game that he didn't even do anything on. I don't think he's part of the play even. They just called it for whatever reason. Not really sure on that one. The safety call where Ryan Fitzpatrick gets tackled in the end zone, ball behind the line of scrimmage, or behind the end zone line, I should say, the goal line, and he gets tackled back there. No safety. They even review it, and the officials must not be able to see the camera lens very well because they uphold the call after very clear evidence shows that he is in the end zone. So just a bunch of really bad, blatant calls. The fourth and one to Damian Williams. Looks like he has a first down. They don't call that right. They don't spot that correctly. So this officiating staff and crew today was just abysmal and you know I am a big football fan I watch football every Saturday and Sunday I have for as long as I can remember you know it's it's my passion that's my calling that's what I like to do and I don't remember one being this bad and I don't remember being so turned off by the NFL in terms of officiating now the the game the Dolphins played against the Pittsburgh Steelers back and I want to say it was 2010 maybe 2009 it was it was back in the end of the Sperano era 
or middle of the Sprano era, I should say. And Ben Roethlisberger had that play where he fumbled it into the end zone and the Dolphins recovered it and they gave it back to the Steelers for some reason. And then they ended up scoring later in the game or later in that drive and won the game. But that, that was the most disappointing I've been since then. And the way it kind of zaps my enthusiasm for the game is just, it's a killer because this team is as bad as it is, makes it tough enough. And you guys know that, but the officiating being that bad, it's like, why are we even watching this crap? Because it's not even, it's not even a good product when you're just having them throw flags for no good reason whatsoever. I mean, you go from commercial break, Dolphins get a kick return out to the 30 yard line or a punt return, I should say. And you come back and the ball's at the five because they announced a penalty that there was apparently on the play. So just the whole day was marred by just phantom flags and bad officiating and they even got into the booth review and they couldn't get it right so abysmal abysmal effort the nfl should be ashamed of themselves tony Corrente's crew should all be under investigation for either poor performance or you know fixing games because i can't describe it any other way that was just dreadful dreadful officiating all right before we get into the twitter questions here this is the lockdown dolphins podcast travis wingfield at wingfield nfl at LockedOnFins and, of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. Let's go ahead and dive right into that Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into the Twitter mailbag here. And the first question comes from It's Kane Sugar at America's Speedo. He asks, with the Dolphins pretty much out of playoff talks, who and what do we look to evaluate the rest of the season as well as the draft? I would say that your biggest points of evaluation are going to be the offensive line, obviously the interior offensive line. I think tight ends a big area of need. I think that you're going to have to add a pass rusher because Cam Wake is starting to slow down a little bit. And besides him, it's just basically Charles Harris. On Charles Harris, Andre Branch has been a bit of a disaster this year. Linebackers, you're probably going to have to figure in Kiko Alonso's replacement at some point because he is just playing terrible football right now. You're going to have to probably find someone else in the secondary to help you out there. So just basically anywhere on the defense you can add bodies to. And then the offensive line and tight end. Uh, the name that I really got attracted to this weekend was the center from Ohio State, Billy Price. He is a road grading center that can get out on space and do things athletically. He can pass protect. He can pass protect. He can really do it all. So that's a name that I'm going to go ahead and drop on you guys today. Question number two comes from Jeff Rhino. That's at Aginley of Fire. He asks, has Cutler played his last snap as a Dolphin? And he also asks, are Howard and Tankersley ever going to become an above average cornerback duo? Sure, did not look like it today. The second question, I, I'm very worried about Xavier and Howard. He got beat again for a touchdown by Mike Evans today, but did not. It was not caught. He, Mike Evans dropped the pass. Uh, Cordray Tankersley, I think, is, is going to be a good starter in this league for a while. He's he's showing a lot of bite as a rookie. And that's nice to see. He's very tough to learn that position out of the gates like that. And he's been he's had some good coverage. I had a tweet today talking about his technique on a Mike Evans play that he broke up. So encouraged by Tankersley, very discouraged by Howard. As far as Jay Cutler, I would say yes. But there are still six games to go. And Matt Moore, for you know, for the life of me, I can't imagine that he will get through six games without getting hurt. That's just kind of been who he has been throughout the whole course of his career. But do you go back to Jay Cutler at that point? I don't know. So I'm going to say yes for now, but we're going to put a pin in that one for later. Question number three comes from George Stoneman. That's at George Stoneman. Nice and easy. Is it time to look at Tannenbaum's position this offseason? He has not put together a good roster, burdened this team with horrible contracts and horrible players, as well as leaving us needing a major reshuffle to give up sufficient cap room in spring. I, I think that the Jets fans really warned us about Mike Tannenbaum when he got here, and he did the same thing to us, or he's doing the same thing to us, did to the Jets, when he really kind of just put everything in for winning now and didn't really focus on the future. Lots of bad contracts, like you said. I think that you do have to evaluate that position. I don't think they're going to do anything about it, though, because that's kind of been Stephen Ross's MO. He's not really one to quickly make a change. And him and Mike Tannenbaum kind of have that buddy-buddy relationship, so I don't know that he's going to make a change there. I think that if you do see a change, it's going to be in completely in personnel. I don't, I don't believe there will be any shakeups, although I would be with you on that, George. I would say it's time to start evaluating the guy that gives out those bad contracts and, and gives those bad extensions like he has Akiko Alonso and, Alonzo and Andre Branch. Question number four 
going back to its cane sugar at America. Speedo has several questions for me here. You're talking about Isaac Asiata, Jarvis Landry's payday, and then just a general question about who has to show up these final six games to earn themselves a spot back on the roster next year. First, Jarvis Landry, I think he gets paid. I think he's a Dolphin next year, so I'm just going to say that for now. Move on to the next one. Isaac Asiata, I think he's a developmental project. You have to probably give him a full year of registering before you can see if he's even worthy of getting his technique down and getting kind of playing in control because he played a lot of out-of-control football at Utah, so you have to kind of rein that in and capitalize on that aggressiveness and that you know eagerness to kind of get out in space and do things. So if they can do that, he can be a player in the future, but just probably not this year. As far as guys that might be you know on the bubble, it's that's a really good question and a tough question to answer. I would look, you know, to give you a good name, like a, a a surprising name, I would say, would probably be Devontae Parker. I think that he he has not endeared himself to this coaching staff with his kind of fragile practice habits and the way he's, he, you know, he had a couple drops today. He had one drop that led to an interception that was a big play in the game. Probably, you know, almost probably cost the Dolphins a game at that point, but he's had a really disappointing season. He's had a couple of big splash plays that are nice, a couple of those one-handed catches you like that really show up on Sports Center. But outside of that, can you really think of a time that he took over? He had that stretch last year where he did it. He was pretty good to start the season this year, the beginning of, back in September, but he gets hurt and then he kind of just like fades away. And then you got Clyde Christensen talking about how he's not really showing the same bite that he had early in the year. Like he already arrived or something. I don't understand why he would have that mentality. So Devontae Parker has kind of been hit and miss and, and, and mostly missed so far. And then the last question here from DJ Taylor at LaDon James kind of asked something I've already talked about, but I'll just go ahead and read it anyways. What do we do this off season? It feels like the past five seasons we've had been half assing it, waiting on Tannehill to finally get it together, investing in Sue instead of greater needs, waiting on Pouncey's health, Mike Walls for a quote, deep threat, Deion Jordan for flash, basically just throwing out all the stuff that is frustrating him. And DJ, you're certainly right to feel that way. As he goes and reply to his statement after that, says, sorry, I'm just tilting. We all are, DJ. We are all tilting about this stuff. It is not fun to be a Dolphins fan right now and kind of going right back into where we were before the playoff run last year. But I think that, like I said, just try to stay the course as best you can. There are good players in this roster. I think there's a lot of bad contracts. That's where you really get into trouble because I was talking about it on Twitter today, and I don't really know what you do with Kiko Alonso because he's playing so bad, and I would just move on if you can, but you gave him so much money, and he kind of has to be here. So that's where you really get hampered down, but just keep drafting. They had a good draft last year. They had some good drafts before that, bringing in some guys that could actually contribute to this football team. So keep drafting well. Just kind of stay the course. Get your quarterback back, and consider what you're going to do at quarterback in the draft because if you get that top five pick, and you find someone you like, man, it's hard to not pull that trigger because you're not going to be there again very often, at least you hope not, unless you're the Cleveland Browns. But, I mean, the last time the Dolphins got a top pick, it was Jake Long. They traded up for Deion Jordan, obviously, but you don't get yourself in a position to make that move very often. So if you get there, you find a guy you like, go ahead and pull the trigger. I'm still Team Tannehill, but if you find, like, a Baker Mayfield, who I also absolutely love, I would be okay with that too. So I think that's where you start, and that's kind of where you just look is continue to stay the course and make an upgrade at quarterback, and you should be good to go. All right, guys, it's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. It really helps the podcast grow. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. My piece, Ryan Tannehill, the savior, is up there right now showing you some good stuff from him and how you can get excited for next year as well. Check back tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose of Dolphins football.